Alright, hello everybody and welcome to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast, Free Agency Edition. I am Alex Shane, here as always with my good buddy Rich Hill. And Rich Hill, I don't know if we should take any credits for what's been going on the last week since the last time we spoke, but I feel like the last time you and I were on the podcast a few days ago, we said some things about how we're not expecting anything too crazy to happen for the Patriots. There's no way Tom Brady's going to retire, he'll be back. And uh, lo and behold, Shane Stradamus and Hill Stradamus... It's all true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was always inevitable, right? I mean, Brady has told us forever that he would stop playing when he sucks. He was, in my money, the most valuable quarterback in the entire league last season. And uh, the retirement always felt weird. He is, was coming off like he almost came back against the eventual Super Bowl winners. The NFC is as weak as ever with Russell Wilson now part of the Denver Broncos. Like, come on, Brady Brady is salivating at the chance of being able to play a Green Bay Packers team that's spending $100 million between Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams together. Like, there's not a good team in the NFC other than the Bucks. Um and, like, you know, potentially the Rams if they want to try and run it back. But those are as good of odds as he's ever had entering a season. So there's no way he was going to sit on the sidelines for this. No, there's no way. You know, the obvious there are some jokes circulating around the Internet. It's like, oh, Brady saw the price of gas and had to go back to work. Or Brady, Brady's already sick of his wife and kids after three weeks, whatever it is, which I don't know. Maybe there's some truth to that. But I think the main thing is he's just a maniac and a competitor. And he's already missing it. He's seeing the buzz, the free agency hype. Teams are starting to rebuild. It's a very exciting time in the National Football League. And he just has that itch still. And like you said, he's going to play until he sucks. Maybe this is his last year. I do think, though, I will say, I feel like if the Buccaneers had won the Super Bowl last year, maybe he'd have hung him up. But they didn't. He had that comeback fall short. And maybe one more ride. I don't know. But, yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised with this at all. But it's exciting because, yeah, I mean, the NFC is just such a, a kind of top-heavy division or conference, excuse me. He should be able to make a really serious run. I'm very curious to see how the Buccaneers roster building now is going to structure itself with Tom Brady's back. Oh, totally. They're already trying to bring back Gronk. Uh, I believe they're bringing in some depth depth running backs they franchised had godwin they're having some issues extending him but you know if they can get godwin and evans uh, i believe they signed russell gage as, as another wide receiver brady is going to have a full complement of receivers to throw at the real question is will they have a complementary enough defense to do that um and also like can he get along with bruce arians enough we will see i think he's very much uh, friends with byron leftwich uh, but there is definitely some tensions with Bruce Arians. So we will see how that develops. I, I mean, honestly, the Bucks should be as strong of a favorites as any team in the NFL because their path is so easy. Um, because the AFC, on the other side of things, is absolute uh, insanity. You, you, the, the uh, Los Angeles Chargers, the AFC West, uh, I, I do not envy Josh McDaniels and his new job with the Las Vegas Raiders as he watches the Broncos acquire Russell Wilson and as he watches the Chargers acquire Khalil Mack uh, and also sign former Patriots cornerback J.C. Jackson. Alex, what's your thought on all of the moves happening in the AFC? Yeah, it's pretty wild. It's hard to keep up. And it's kind of crazy because this time last year, I feel like all those moves were the Patriots are signing all of these players. Matthew Judon and both the tight ends, Johnny Smith, Hunter Henry, but we're kind of back to business as usual, watching other teams snatch up all the big talent, really go for broke. 
like I said last week, buddy, that that AFC West is just an absolutely absurd division. Should be an absolute blast to watch. And it's hard to keep your eyes focused on the fact that football season starts in September, not March, because this is how we have always lived as Patriots fans in March. We lose some key guys. Other guys sign elsewhere. There's always a couple of teams that go out there. They get really aggressive. They are immediately Super Bowl contenders and on paper. I think the Chargers, I don't yeah, Chargers are going to be a force to be reckoned with in the AFC West. But again, they got to play the Chiefs and the Broncos, the Russell Wilson now. So who knows how that's going to work. And meanwhile, as Patriots fans, we are sitting here. Um, we brought back Nick Folk. That's a big win. Um, we uh, we brought back James White. That's a big win, legitimately. I'm psyched about that. Brought back Matthew Slater. All right. But uh, we just lost on one of our best offensive linemen to Tampa Bay and Shaq Mason. We have signed a serviceable cornerback who has kind of bounced around the league back and forth in Terrence Mitchell. We made a classic Bill Belichick trade, got rid of Chase Winovich and brought in linebacker Mac Wilson, who now went from kind of a situational edge guy to based on the lack of movement at the linebacker position, one of the starters. So this team, as of right now, again, you don't want to kind of just be myopic about it, but this team is in a lot of flux right now, and there's a lot of uncertainty, particularly along the offensive line and the defensive backfield. Yeah, totally. I agree. I mean, I think that in its current state, this Patriots team is much worse than where they were last year. They were a good team that had a lot of potential that went as far as their rookie quarterback could take them, which was the playoffs, which is outstanding. Uh, And the hope is that if they were able to run it back this year, they could go a little bit further. And I think that they had all the pieces to be able to do that. Unfortunately, J.C. Jackson is very expensive. He signed a five-year, $82.5 million contract with the Chargers. Uh, I believe he's getting something in, like, the mid-40s over the first two years. So he's getting that Jalen Ramsey money, which, you know, great for him. He absolutely deserves it. And the Patriots were always going to have to find a way to piece together another secondary to approach the 2022 season. What I was not expecting was this dismantling of their offensive line. Uh, To me, that is the stunner of the first couple of weeks. J.C. Jackson, whatever, uh, very happy for him. Patriots are going to have a hard time replacing him this year. But that was kind of expected. To watch Ted Karras sign a three-year, $18 million contract with the Bengals in isolation, great for him. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think that he's earned that contract based off of his play. But to also go ahead and then trade away Shaq Mason for a measly fifth-round pick, that is unconscionable to me. Uh, Shaq Mason is a top-five guard in the entire league. He uh, is on an extremely team-friendly contract. He has two more years under contract, so it's not like he's an expiring player or anything like that. And a fifth-round pick is literally nothing. This is 170th overall pick. that is absolutely nothing in return for the Patriots. I'm shocked that they couldn't find a better uh, exchange for that. But now they have gaps everywhere on their offensive line. Trent Brown, their starting right tackle, is a free agent. Uh, Shaq Mason is gone. Ted Karras is gone. David Andrews is there at the middle, uh, which is great because now the Patriots are retaining all of their captains. 
Uh, but then you have Isaiah Wynn at left tackle. And for what mm-hmm. everyone thinks, uh, is he the long-term solution? It doesn't seem so. He has a hard time staying on the field due to all of his injuries. And so he's serviceable. But is he a long-term solution? I don't think so. And so you're, you're going from a place where you have a young quarterback who, you know, with the roster in its previous state, was extremely competitive, where if Mac Jones was able to take the next step forward, the Patriots could make a lot of noise in the conference, to now having a young quarterback behind just a non-existent offensive line, that is probably one of the worst scenarios and situations you could have for a developing quarterback. I mean, I feel like this is kind of a ever-surprising, but always kind of expected Belichick move on. I'm trying to think back over the years where the Patriots unloaded a player, maybe a good player, a franchise player, whatever it is for a draft pick. And we're like, Oh, what a great draft pick we got for that guy. That's never the case. Be it Jimmy Garoppolo for a second rounder that had people furious. I think Matt Castle, when he went 11 and five, they had like a second rounder for, for Castle and Mike Vrabel. Shaq Mason for a fifth rounder, trading a second rounder for Mohamed Sanu. I feel like when Belichick trades players for draft picks, he always gets fleeced by the draft pick. If you want to trade Shaq Mason, fine. But I feel like, again, maybe I'm wrong. I'm not a GM. I have not talked to anybody. But I feel like there are teams out there that probably would have given a second rounder or maybe a, a fourth and a, a third and a fourth or whatever it is, like more than a single fifth round pick for Shaq Mason. They won a hundred percent could have gotten more for him somewhere. Right. I'm not crazy there. No, totally. I mean, like, and they would deserve it. I, and I agree with you. I think that for whatever reason, the Patriots and maybe teams around the league do this too, but especially the, the Patriots, they do a great job acquiring veterans for late round picks. Like how many like quality starters have they acquired uh, by shipping away like a sixth round pick for Kyle Van Noy in a seventh or a sixth round pick for Jason McCourty in a seventh. Like they're able to get viable starters by swapping late round picks. So if, if they, but those are people that were like cast off and out of position. Like those were players that like were not living up to expectations. They weren't Shaq Mason who is playing some of the best football in the entire league. And for that to only yield a fifth round pick in return, makes me feel like either Shaq Mason wanted out or there was something else going on. That's pure just conjecture on my part, but it's just such an imbalanced trade. And I don't know what the Patriots are going to do on the offensive line. You know, maybe there is some sort of a a path forward where they acquire Lael Collins, who they've been linked to from the Dallas Cowboys. Maybe they trade them that fifth round pick for him uh, and bring back, you know, Marcus Cannon to play right tackle or something of that nature. And like they could piece together enough of an offensive line for it to be okay. But it all kind of feels like the best case scenario is a lateral move. And to me, that doesn't make sense. Shaq uh, Mason is 28 years old. He is in the absolute prime of his career. He's coming off of a very good season. He's been, uh, according to Pro Football Focus, the second best guard in the entire NFL uh, behind only the Cowboys' Zach Martin over the past like three or four seasons. And so it makes no sense to let a player of that caliber walk to get nothing in exchange for it. Uh, And so it's just honestly just a huge head scratcher. It is. Again, you're right. There's definitely some moves to be made over the coming days and weeks via the draft or other free agents going to be a trade. I just don't see a scenario where the roster stays as it is. I I couldn't even tell you who the, I guess it would be Michael Lowenu, move him in, move Isaiah. I don't know. I, I, I couldn't even tell you right now who the starting five offensive linemen would be if they had to play today 
Um, I, I could do a well, Colin, Collins move. I could bring Marcus Cannon back. Maybe if you get like a Trent Brown, Wynn, Andrews, Owenu, Collins, something like that. I don't know. But weird and it's frustrating because, again, we were so spoiled so early and so quickly last March that all of a sudden we're back to kind of that unsexy offseason. And this is just such a head-scratching pick. And it makes me wonder, Rich, because my, my priority – before that Shaq Mason trade, I was like, people like, oh, go get a receiver. Bring back Amari Cooper. Or they just cut uh, Landry from the Browns. Get Mac Jones some weapons. Weapons, Mac Jones. I, I, I'm i okay with that, but I personally want them to really, really focus on the defense because they seem to have a problem convincing the Buffalo Bills to punt the ball based on last season. And if they have to play the Bills twice, possibly three times in the postseason, I'd rather them focus on stopping the other team in the division than worry about getting Mac Jones some receivers. However, I may have to shift my focus now from the defensive backfield, the linebacker core, to this offensive line because the, I can't think of many worse things for a second-year signal caller looking to build his confidence coming off a fantastic rookie campaign than a sieve for an O-line where he spends the entire season running for his life. Totally, totally. I mean, and I agree with you completely. It just feels like the Patriots looked at what their strengths were last season in their secondary and on the offensive line and said, none of that. Get rid of it. Break it apart. And, and now they just have the pieces that are left over for no real reason because they haven't improved on their defensive front. They haven't improved elsewhere. And uh, it just feels like a bunch of unforced errors. Um, but as you mentioned, you know, it's early enough. There's still... You know, the whole wave of second-tier cornerbacks and other players for the Patriots to sign. I like that addition of Terrence Mitchell, to be honest. Uh, the Patriots signed him on a one-year, $3 million contract. He's been a multi-year starter in the NFL. He's not going to be your number one. He is not your J.C. Jackson replacement. But what he gives you is a versatile defensive back who can play both zone and man coverage and do it fine. Uh, and, and a lot of the things that you saw with Jalen Mills being acquired by the Patriots is kind of similar to that. You know, a, a smart enough player who is scheme versatile that gives you some flexibility on the back end, um, but also gives you a veteran who can play in a pinch. And so I imagine what the Patriots are going to have to do is add a young player on that outside because Juwan Williams is not it. Uh, and... and We'll see what the future holds for Miles Bryant as a contributor, what Sean Wade has as a contributor. But this really just sets the stage for the Patriots to feel comfortable with uh, depth secondary if they need to play them with the opportunity to make a, an upside play by bringing in a young defensive back uh, like Kyrie Elam in the draft or, or an Andrew Booth out of Clemson, like one of those two players that can provide you that potential number one cornerback upside uh, but knowing that they have a veteran who can play right now if they need them. And, of course, this opens the door wide for that second-round DB in the draft pick we all no. love so much. You know that's coming. Uh, although, again, look, if you look at J.C. Jackson, the Patriots, they know how to develop cornerbacks. They just do. They find guys deep in the draft, and they, they turn them into, into defensive players. I, I'm confident they can do that. Maybe not a J.C. Jackson caliber. They just kind of find that maybe lightning in a bottle scenario, but... I feel like they have the ability to develop cornerbacks that they find late. I just wish they'd stop spending money or draft capital, excuse me, in the second round of DBs because that just don't work out, Rich Hill. Um, however, there are plenty of really good players still out there, and we're talking about the secondary. Um, you know, there are some guys we, you mentioned. I want to focus on the linebackers for a minute because, again, right now that's a really weird position that's in a lot of flux. They've got Raekwon McMillan, but – 
got Josh Uche, who's flashed, but he's kind of been inconsistent at best. Hightower is still a free agent. I don't see Jamie Collins coming back. Hightower, I see maybe possibly they bring him back if he wants to return. They do a team-friendly deal. But there are also some pretty interesting names out there at the linebacker position. Bobby, Bobby Wagner was released by the Seahawks. The Jags just cut Miles Jack, who's only 26 years old. I think that would be a fantastic fit. I don't know what kind of money he's going to command on the open market. There's some decent players out there in free agency for linebacker. So do you see any way the Patriots target like a Miles Jack or Bobby Wagner, or are you looking more kind of the bargain basement in that position? Uh, definitely more of the bargain basement. I, I would say that Miles Jack could be like the ceiling of what they'd be willing to spend money on. But if they are going to spend money on any free agent, it will only be after they've been released. And so that's why those two players are options. I imagine Bobby Wagner is going to go somewhere else uh, because he still is an all pro caliber player. Uh, or, you know, at least very good. Um, whereas Miles Jack uh, never had that sort of NFL success. He's a good player. He's fine. Um, but the Patriots are focusing on compensatory picks right now. They're in line to get a third rounder for J.C. Jackson. Uh, they're not going to jeopardize that by bringing in a, like, true – uh, standard free agent uh, that has not been a product of being released from their previous team. And so I, I don't see them bringing in a high upside linebacker. And what I find interesting is that Mike Reese has talked about how he thinks that both Bentley and Hightower are going to go elsewhere. Uh, Jamie Collins definitely lower on the priority list because he didn't play much last year. Um, but when I, when I see Mike Reese say that, uh, that's pretty like that's informed insight that that's not something he's just throwing around out there i think he, he mentioned hightower potentially connecting with brian flores in pittsburgh uh which could be an option there i can see bentley being offered somewhere like you know with the raiders or something like that former patriots sort of a connection um but what i see for these linebackers is that there's not a lot uh jelani tavai has been very underwhelming when he's been on the field uh, Raquan McMillan and Cameron McGrone have literally done nothing in the Patriots uniforms. Uh, and, and so with, uh, same with Anthony Jennings. I know he played a little bit as a rookie, but he's been effectively redshirted for multiple years in a row. And then you have Josh Uche, who in my mind uh, is not in a dissimilar space to Chase Winovich in the sense that it just feels like the Patriots are trying to find reasons not to play them. Uh, and that's how I felt with Winovich. That's how it feels with Uche is that they just, it seems like they're trying to find other players to play over them. Um, Mac Wilson is someone that I consider to actually just be more of a special teams acquisition than anything uh, with maybe some depth linebacker upside. But we are at a spot where I don't think that they're, uh, if none of these players were starters for the Patriots next year, I wouldn't be surprised. No, it's true, man. And I'm trying to think of a single Belichick-led Patriots team that made a deep playoff run that didn't have a solid linebacker core. None. And there's, I mean, maybe that 2011 squad, the defense was just terrible, but other, and, but like Tully Banta Kane was, was in there, but like still, it's just they, they are such a critical unit on this defense. Strong, smart, rangy linebackers that call plays at the line. They can alternate between the 3-4, three, 4-3, four, four, three, maybe go with the big nickel. It is the linchpin of the Belichick run defense. And as of right now, they're as shallow as they've ever been. And again, I, I know moves are coming. Unless they've kind of mailed it on the season, which I don't think at all is the case. I've always said when they drafted Mac Jones last year and they got all the free agents, they were like two years out from that point. So maybe they agree with me and they're, they're using this as kind of like a second rebuild. But, 
you know, thinking more and talking more with you about it, I feel like linebacker may be a V priority for this team. And I haven't really done my deep draft dive yet, but asking a, a rookie linebacker to step in right away, unless they're going to invest a high round draft pick on him, that's very hard to do in a Belichick defensive scheme. And I, I do not want to be relying on some highly touted rookie to suddenly step in and be the next Dante Hightower or Gerard Mayo. So they have a lot of work to do yeah, here. Yeah, totally. And I mean, like even in that 2011, like bottom of the barrel Patriots defense, uh, they had, you know, Gerard Mayo up the gut, but also Rob Ninkovich and Andre Carter on the outside. They, they had Vince Wilfork up the middle. They had some other talents in their defensive front that they just don't have. The, I, I, would, I feel like the cupboard just feels barren on this defensive side. And, like, maybe there are things that they could do. I would love for them to bring back Trey Flowers. I think that he'd be excellent opposite of Matthew Judon. That would give the Patriots a very solid defensive line. And that gives them a little bit more flexibility at that linebacker spot, knowing that their defensive line could be that good. Um, and part of me also wonders, and let me know your thoughts on this. It kind of feels to me like the Patriots have over the past couple of years been in flux with what they want to have as an identity. And I, I think in part, uh, you know, Brian Flores took half the defensive staff when he left for the Miami Dolphins a couple years ago. And now Josh McDaniels took half the offensive staff as he went to the Raiders. And I wonder if on the offensive line, uh, you know, they don't have Scar anymore. They've, like, flipped through three different offensive line coaches. Uh, are they going to try a different approach on offense? You know, are they going to start doing the Shanahan-Kubiak wide zone sort of rushing attack that's super effective? I could see that. I could see there being a pivot there. And same thing on the defensive side of it. You know what? Belichick has always had his prototypical, this is what I think linebackers should be. But with basically it's him, Gerard Mayo, and Steve Belichick figuring out what they want their defense to look like, perhaps they're going to reimagine what a defense could be. You know, like that's what Belichick always does is he figures out what assets are undervalued and then he tries to build a roster around it. And right now, linebackers are extremely you know they're getting paid the jaguars are giving everyone 100 million dollars just because they can it's hard to find shutdown cornerbacks uh with any regularity and it's hard to pay high at every single position and so they have pretty good defensive linemen they're okay they have pretty good defensive backs they're okay their linebacker core is terrible where are players around the league extremely undervalued it's uh, those big body defensive linemen, you know, thinking of like the Ted Washingtons and Allen Branches of the world. Those are usually undervalued. Uh, and then the other undervalued players are the former safeties that can't actually cover that much. But like they can be pretty good, like the Landon Collinses of the world. You know, think of what like Patrick Chung and uh, Adrian Phillips have been able to do for the Patriots. What if, Alec, what if this defense said, you know what, screw the linebackers. We're just going to get all of these former safeties to play that linebacker spot. Y'all can be, you know, we don't need to get smaller or faster at the linebacker spot. We'll just get safeties because they're cheaper. And we're, we're going to get three safeties that can cover running backs out of the backfield, but still weigh 225 pounds because that's how people are built these days. And they can play behind a big, beefy defensive lineman of, you know, if you put Barmore, Godshaw, and Guy on the field at the exact same time, you're going to have a lot of lanes for those fast safeties to get through. And so I'm wondering if this is just a case of the Patriots saying, you know what, uh, we're going to have to do a major course correction here because the way we've been building our rosters as of late is no longer sustainable and we have to get creative. 
That's a really interesting point. If they're kind of, you know, Belichick loves to zig when the rest of the world zags. And if you look at the AFC, players like Josh Allen, Tua Tagovailoa, uh, Lamar Jackson, pretty much every single quarterback in the AFC West, uh, Ryan Tannehill, those are all really mobile, hard-to-bring-down quarterbacks that can extend the play with their legs almost indefinitely. And the best way to keep a, a mobile quarterback in the pocket is to have a ideally linebacker kind of in the spy role, the robber role on him. But am I going to trust a 265-pound linebacker against Lamar Jackson or Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes? No, I'm not. Could Adrian Wilson, for example, or a Patrick Chung kind of player be a little more proactive in stopping him? Yeah. So maybe as the NFL offenses adapt to the quarterback being kind of the one of the major weapons beyond just being able to throw the ball, you have to counter that by just getting smaller along the defensive front and preventing the quarterback from extending the play. How many times did Josh Allen kill the Patriots by scrambling out of the pocket last year? The question, though, is another area the Patriots struggled, and they have struggled for a couple of years, is stopping the run. They couldn't stop the run at all last year, and I wonder if getting smaller at the defensive front and substituting safeties for linebackers, not every single play, but having that as a big part of the rotational package, if that's going to do any favors when you get these big backs that can just bolt the A-gaps. I'd rather have a Dante Hightower there to stop him than, uh, than Adrian Wilson, you know? So it's kind of a, kind of a trade-off. What do, you, what do you value more? No, that's a very good point. I mean, and I, I think that it is such a passing league, and I do think that, like, teams are going to, if they want to run the ball, I'd rather them run the ball. You know, I'd, I'd rather have the ability to cover, have the ability to make sure quarterbacks can't scramble and force them to, like, hold on to the ball and make harder decisions. And, and I, I think that that's a, an exchange that's worth considering, especially because, um, yeah, the Patriots were terrible against the run at times last year. I think if they had the opportunity just to get bigger up front, you know, I think they played with, like, one defensive tackle at times. Sometimes they had two. Um, but, like, what if, you know, thinking of back to 2001 when Belichick drafted Richard Seymour and they said, all right, we're going to start running this 3-4 because these, uh, you know, defensive tackles that, like, kind of eat space uh, and then these edge defenders that are too small to be defensive linemen are undervalued. We're going to build our defense around their skill sets. And so I'm wondering if perhaps, uh, you know, there is that space for them to have three, like, Vince Wilfork-sized players. Like, no one's ever done that before. What if you're able to do that where there isn't an A-gap? <laughs> you have those guys that, like, <laughs> there isn't space for them to navigate. And if they ever hit the corner, that's where you have those, like, Landon Collins, Patrick Chung, Adrian Phillips-type players to clean up on the outsides. So I, I, I'm just wondering if there's an opportunity to take advantage of some players that other teams are definitely undervaluing because uh, they're not as flashy, because people pay for sacks, because people pay for interceptions and forced fumbles and things like that and tackles for loss that cause those premium positions to go up. And so is there a way to get players that can give you similar production at a much more affordable price range? Perhaps. We'll see. I'm, I, I think that uh, overall through the first couple of days of free agency – I think that the Patriots are a worse team, as I said. I think that they have a lot of gaps that they definitely need to fill. Some of them, like the defensive back and linebacker position, I feel more okay with them being able to fix um, and, and more okay with the fact, like the decisions that they've made there because Hightower can still come back. You know, like that's the way it is. When you come to the offensive line, that just feels like the Patriots 
created a, a gap where they didn't previously have one for no real value. Um, and so I'll, I'll be curious to see how the rest of this offseason develops. As will I. I'm going to date myself here with my age, Rich, but you talked about having three Vince Wilforks on the offensive line. Reminds me of a Nintendo Entertainment System game called Ice Hockey back in the 80s when you got to pick five players and then you could pick between a really, really fat guy who was really powerful but slow and a really, really skinny guy who was fast but weak and then like an average-sized guy. And I always picked two big fat guys and three skinny guys, and that was the best ice hockey lineup. And I will go to my grave saying that for all you older, middle-aged Patriots fans out there. That's a really interesting perspective. And I, one thing I love about this time of year, as much as it sucks to lose guys and see other teams get better while your teams get worse, because that's kind of how the Patriots have always operated, with last year being the anomaly, uh, it's very important to keep yourself long-term eyes on the prize. And there's still a lot of really good free agents out there that should ring uh, names should ring a bell to a lot of people i mean i'd love to see them find a way to bring chandler jones back don't see it happening he's going to get a big payday somewhere calais campbell's out there i know he's older but he could be a good fit he's a monster 35 36 years old but he might have one last kind of big run in him left akeem hicks you should remember him he's around alan robinson on the offensive side i think he'll get too big of a payday as well but again it's easy to kind of be despondent but there are still a lot of really big names out there that could be a fantastic fit for the patriots and I'm very excited to see what happens right. as well. Well, we will be breaking it down. I'm sure there will be more moves this week for the Patriots, uh, and we will be here to analyze it. We will have more information on patspulpit.com. Alec, do you have any final thoughts on uh, the opening couple of days of free agency? I just hope, buddy, the next time you and I get together, the Patriots haven't trade anybody else away for a six-round draft pick. <laughs> well, I hope so too because uh, I don't think my heart would be able to handle it. Alec, it's been a pleasure. Until next time, you have a good one. You too, buddy. See ya. Cool.